Welcome to Fly 69. I'm your mental health flight attendant, Camille. You're beautiful. Has anyone ever told you that? Probably not, because you're not conventionally beautiful, but I still think you're beautiful on the inside. Now, some rules for the cabin. Shut the hell up. All right, now we're finished with the rules. There are no emergency exits on this plane. We barely have any oxygen, so you might feel as though you're suffocating. And there is scheduled turbulence ahead in storms called self-love and self-acceptance. But we'll get through them together. And with our encouraging friend tagging along, vodka. So, buckle up, bitch. Because you're about to love and appreciate yourself, whether you'd like to or not. All right, well, that just happened. <laughs> Welcome to episode 21 of Have a Blessed Gay. Yay, the podcast can legally drink alcohol now. This is your weekly spiritual comedy podcast, and I am your holy host, Tyler Martin. This is an exciting episode because the B word launches today. As I mentioned last episode, I am creating and curating a space for outcasts to share their journeys, ideas, questions, and resources, all to do with toenail art. Wait, no, that can't be right. No, I, I mean religion and spirituality. Yeah, that's the one. You'll be able to read articles from people of various religions, faiths, and spiritual walks of life who are questioning, daring to be different, and making positive changes in their communities. Toward the end of this episode, I will talk about the first article called Reclaiming the Divine Feminine Voice. And you'll hear an excerpt from it by the author herself, Kimberly Bryant. So you better listen all the way through to the end. The full article is also available on the Have a Blessed Gay website, www.haveablessedgay.com. So after you're finished listening to this episode, please do go to the website and read the beautiful touching piece and make sure to subscribe to the newsletter while you're on the website so you can learn when new articles drop. I was recently asked how to find out if a person's church is affirming of them or not. Now this sounds simple enough, just look around or ask someone, right? But sometimes it can be more complicated than that. So let's talk about it, shall we? Okay. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp 
betterhelp.com slash blessgay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash blessedgay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash blessgay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessedgay. In the church I grew up in, women couldn't preach, they couldn't lead singing, they couldn't lead prayer, and it seemed too liberal to even let them give the morning announcements. But sometimes they would go off the deep end and let them anyway. What was confusing, though, was that I was surrounded by strong women. My grandmother, for example, played kind of the stereotypical male role in her relationship. For a nice chunk of time, she had the job and she paid the bills. Yet every day when my grandparents would read their Bible aloud, she read passages of submitting to her husband, and she genuinely believed her God intended her to. This led to hypocrisy and confused gender roles in her life, strong in the home and submissive in the church, a duality I talked about in the episode with Dr. Kyle Myers. If you search online forums regarding women in religion or the LGBTQ plus community in religion, You'll find a lot of people asking questions like, what are tips on how to be in a church that doesn't support me? Or how can I be active in a church that doesn't accept me? And yeah, these are real questions I found online. This is actually a very common thread in many marginalized groups, not strictly within Christianity, but within most main world religions. I've had a difficult time understanding why someone would voluntarily attend a church week after week that didn't uplift and support them. After all, isn't that what church is for? Why fight to be loved by bigots and misogynists? And more than that, for any person that claims to believe in equality for women, people of color, or the LGBTQ plus community, how can those people attend those congregations knowing that they are participating in an organization that directly or indirectly discriminates against those groups of people? Well, Sometimes it's not super obvious. Sometimes, like much of our country's discriminatory legislation, it is hidden behind flowery language and the word welcome hung above the door. A great example of this is Hillsong Church. Hillsong is a humongous Christian megachurch that stretches across the world. It has branches in the US, Canada, Europe, Middle East, like basically everywhere, and it originated in Australia. Now, I have never attended one of these churches, nor will I ever probably attend, but I have attended similar churches, and honestly, I totally get the appeal. It almost doesn't look or feel like a church at all. Instead, they look like the perfect Instagram backdrop. They are typically industrial, they have coffee shops, 
merch you can buy. It smells like Bath and Body Works. There's state-of-the-art theatrical lighting, a legit rock band, and everyone inside is hyped up on Jesus. Well, in reality, it's probably just the coffee. It's like attending a rock concert every week. A very uplifting, masturbatory-like rock concert. With its beautiful design, pumping energy, and a slogan saying, All are welcome. It looks like the tattoo above my ass. So, it's easy to see why it's so successful. Like my ass. I like saying the word ass. Anyway, even if you aren't Christian, you may have heard of the church. A ton of celebrities attend their branches, including Justin Bieber, Kendall Jenner, and Chris Pratt, who in 2019 was very vocal about his involvement in the church. And in a response to Chris Pratt's praise of the church, the lesbian icon herself, Ellen Page, who we 100% stand on this podcast, publicly addressed his involvement, saying that he attended an infamously anti-LGBTQ church. Chris Pratt responded by saying he was unaware of those accusations and that everyone was welcome at Hillsong. I mean, that's the first thing that you see on the website. But welcoming does not always mean inclusive. Welcoming does not always mean accepting. Sure, Chris Pratt, all are welcome to step foot in the churches. They don't like screen people out the door, ask them to take gay breathalyzer tests. But that's about it. Hidden behind the beautifully crafted logo, the church has a long history of being anti-LGBTQ. Okay, so here's the tea. Their anti-LGBTQ plus stance became extremely public in 2015. Josh Canfield was a music director at Hillsong's campus in London, then moved to New York City where he worked for Hillsong's branch here. He met his future partner, Reed Kelly, and they both served the church in various capacities. Josh appeared on the TV show Survivor. Okay, this story is so weird. Anyway, he was on Survivor, where he stated that he was a gay Christian who attended Hillsong. After this became public, it hit national news. People were like, wait, what? Is Hillsong gay accepting now that same-sex marriage is legal? What is going on? And to clear this up, Brian Houston, the founder of the church, wrote a letter explaining his and the church's stance. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will give you some highlights. Brian wrote, I do believe God's word is clear, that marriage is between a man and a woman. The writings of the Apostle Paul and scripture on the subject of homosexuality are also clear, as I have mentioned in previous public statements. Hillsong Church welcomes all people, but does not affirm all lifestyles. Put clearly, we do not affirm a gay lifestyle, and because of this, we do not knowingly have actively gay people in positions of leadership, either paid or unpaid. So, if you are gay, are you welcome at Hillsong Church? Of course. You are welcome to attend, worship with us, and participate as a congregation member with the assurance that you are personally included and accepted within our community. But can you take an active leadership role? No. We are a gay welcoming church, but we are not a church that affirms a gay lifestyle. 
Okay, so basically what this dipshit multi-millionaire minister is saying is please participate. Give 10% of your yearly income to the church during offering, which they do openly suggest. Buy our coffee, wear our merch, but you cannot lead because we believe you are openly sinning, harmful to the community, and will be burning in hell. Now, to me... That's not the most welcoming of messages. <laughs> in fact, I'd say I would not feel welcome in a church like that at all. Josh Canfield, the guy who was on Survivor, was forced to step down from his position, and he and his partner were no longer able to serve in leadership roles, simply because they were gay. Now, here is the really interesting part of the story. The couple actually stayed at the church through this controversy. Josh said in an interview, if every gay person leaves their church because they have been treated poorly, nothing will change. Okay, obviously a statement I desperately disagree with, but no matter, he did eventually have a change of heart and is now attending a gay-affirming church. In an interview after he left, Josh said, Clarity is important to me because I know there are many God-following, Bible-believing members of the LGBTQ family who attend and serve churches who actually want to change them or not want them there at all and they have no idea that's how the church feels. The skirting around the issue is hurting people. I should know. I'm glad Josh was able to leave and is now a part of a community that loves and accepts him. And I agree with that last statement. It isn't always about hearing hate or discriminatory language. More often, it is the silence surrounding those issues. That is the real indicator. What is baffling to me about this specific incident with Josh and the head of the church being explicitly anti-LGBTQ is that it was not that long ago, yet some people seem oblivious. Do people really not research their churches at all? Just blindly trust them because they say Jesus a lot? I don't know, y'all. I know a ton of so-called allies in New York City that have attended that church, that have financially supported that openly anti-LGBTQ organization simply because they like the song choices. But, you know, we're of the nation that if it doesn't directly affect us, then it's okay, right? What's even more of a brainfuck than that, though, is that I have known openly LGBTQ people that have attended that church, have supported it, including financially. And to be honest, it pisses me off. The unwillingness to consider people, the disregard for other humans, to somehow justify discrimination by slapping the word welcome above the door is just infuriating to me. And I've always had a really hard time understanding why someone would attend or want to attend a space they weren't celebrated in. Well, until one day it hit me. I'm a Texas boy, the land of steers and me. And being a Texas boy, a few things are certain. I can be passive aggressive, slathering on the kindness, specifically around those I dislike, 
I'm obsessed with Dr. Pepper. Literally, I have multiple shirts, wall decor, Dr. Pepper boxers, even though I do not wear boxers. Like, I am a legit pepper, okay? And lastly, I love, love, love Chick-fil-A. I grew up in a poor family, and when we got to go to Chick-fil-A, that was a big deal. A number eight, 12-piece nugget with a large fry, Dr. Pepper, and three packs of Polynesian sauce, baby. The only thing that ever altered in my order was the drink. Sometimes I'd get a sweet tea, which ugh, is so good from there. They even have crushed ice. When I ate there, I had a whole process. <laughs> You see, I like to eat my fries first while they're hot. So I would tear my bag, make a little placemat for myself, lay my fries down, open up a Polynesian sauce. I dip and eat my fries till I had about three fries left. Then I'd open up a second Polynesian sauce, eat my nuggets, probably opening my last sauce around nugget number 10. Then I'd finish off the meal with those last three fries that I saved earlier, stack my little sauce cups, put them into the nugget box, put the nugget box into my fry box, then fold up my placemat into the bag, put the boxes in, and throw away. A science. Having Chick-fil-A, it may sound so stupid, crazy, or like I'm over-exaggerating, but it sincerely was a sacred thing for me. While in college, that was the only place on campus that I truly liked. So there were days, I kid you not, I would have it for breakfast, lunch, and motherfucking dinner, savoring it each and every time. Until Chick-fil-A came out as anti-LGBTQ. And y'all, I was devastated, confused, and angry. They've always been super Christian, you know, they're closed on Sundays, but I hadn't done my research. If I had, I would have known that Chick-fil-A purposely had been donating to anti-LGBTQ organizations for many, many years, including one of the most famous conversion therapy organizations, Exodus International, which has since closed and countless leaders have debunked the practice, saying it was wrong and extremely harmful. If I had done my research, though, I would have known that each time I ordered that number eight meal, I was directly financially supporting an organization that was funding to stop marriage equality. After the owner publicly came out with his anti-gay views, he followed it by saying, all are welcome to eat at Chick-fil-A. Interesting how they do that, right? That word, welcome, basically translating to, we're happy to take your gay money. But I swore I wouldn't have it again until they apologized. And that never happened. <laughs> so I didn't have it. That is, until one day I was feeling depressed and I sometimes have the tendency to want to eat my feelings away. And I desperately wanted Chick-fil-A. Again, it may sound ridiculous, but I craved it for my mental health. So I devised a plan. I called the owner of the franchise by my parents' house. Yep, 
I really, truly did this. I called the owner and I had a conversation with him regarding the controversy. I asked what he believed, did his particular location have a stance, and how much of the money went to the head of the organization. He was actually super nice, as most people are at Chick-fil-A, and he assured me he uplifted the LGBTQ plus community and that their location donated to LGBTQ plus affirming organizations. Well, that was enough for me to justify eating there. So I did. Only that location, mind you. Then when I moved to New York City, Chick-fil-A followed me here, opening restaurants right after I had moved. My literal Satan tempting me with its thick, juicy chicken. And I did the same thing. I spoke with the manager and began my sacred chicken eating. In 2015, the company still proudly donated to anti-LGBTQ organizations. And yet I denied my participation. In 2016, the company still proudly donated to anti-LGBTQ organizations. I turned a blind eye and still denied my participation. And in 2017, the company still, yeah, proudly donated to anti-LGBTQ organizations and I still denied my participation until I was directly called out by a gay man I know telling me I was a hypocrite. How could I support that organization, he said. And right then, that's when it hit me. It seems silly to connect conversion therapy to fried chicken. It seems bizarre to connect an anti-LGBTQ legislation to waffle fries. In the same way, it seems strange to connect a church full of smiles, a coffee shop, and Jesus merch that says, back by popular demand, to intense hatred and discrimination. I was doing what so many in the church do, probably how I got the idea in the first place. I disassociated, and it was tragically easy for me to do. Above the Chick-fil-A door, it says welcome. They greet me with their smiles and flatter me with their catchphrase, my pleasure. I would sit there and reminisce of how badly I wanted to be able to eat in that place as a child. And there I was doing it. It was nostalgic. It helped me with my emotions. It was comforting to me. And the best part, I didn't see them handing over my money to anti-LGBTQ organizations and politicians. So it was easy for me to disassociate. Disassociate from the hard fact that every single time I even stepped foot in that establishment, I was directly hurting myself and every other LGBTQ plus person. And my fried chicken and self-satisfaction lasted maybe 20 minutes was apparently worth that. I look back and I'm so embarrassed. However, I have not had Chick-fil-A in years and I do not intend to ever again. You know the popular bitch you wanted to be friends with when you were young because everyone else seemed to love them? Well, and also fear them, which sometimes kind of felt like the same thing. You wanted so badly to be invited to their parties, to sit with them. You finally get invited. Well, you actually don't get invited. Your friend who is slightly more popular than you gets invited and you just beg to tag along. You get all decked out in your favorite clothes, break out a new deodorant just for the occasion. You get to the party, everyone smiles, you get your drink poured. Then later as you're waiting to use the bathroom, 
you hear a group of them making fun of your clothes you're wearing, your favorite clothes, and you realize how silly it was to put yourself in a negative situation like that, to put yourself in an environment where you're not wanted, where you'll never be good enough. You go home that night, cry it out, and say that you'll never talk to them ever again. But then the next day, you see that group of popular people and they publicly acknowledge you for the first time. And for that moment, it was all worth it. Sometimes, that's kind of what church feels like. But you also have to add on obligation, family, ancestry, shame, guilt, and of course the idea that God's love for you is somehow dependent on your participation. So, you know, like this example, but times 100 million. My bizarre connection with Chick-fil-A is my only way for me to understand why someone would actively engage in an organization that is directly against them. When I ate there, I didn't outwardly see the hate, so it felt fine. Hillsong says it's welcoming. They don't directly preach anti-LGBTQ hate. Yet underneath, they have a long history of supporting conversion therapy and having a strong stance against marriage equality. They teach a straight default and a very binary look at gender. These things may be seen as small to some people, but all those microaggressions build and manifest into legislation, into subconscious discrimination. The act of eating at Chick-fil-A, knowing they are extremely anti-LGBTQ, that act alone, although might be seen as small or insignificant, is supporting the grand idea that people can be homophobic, can be racist, can be a misogynist, and nothing happens. Nothing changes. For that moment of fried chicken, people are willing to sacrifice human rights. If people simply researched the organizations they were a part of, our world would look so different. This makes me think of the documentary 13th on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, please do watch it. We as a society blindly go along living in a world where it is normal to disassociate. Like, think about that. I believe something important with this Black Lives Matter movement is that those with privilege don't necessarily see discrimination because they are not being discriminated against. And even if we do see it, we are so used to ignoring it. How often in your day-to-day life do you disassociate? Do you let a harmful comment slide? Do you turn a blind eye to hate speech because it might be uncomfortable to say something? Or you may not feel that you saying anything will actually make a difference, so you decide to be silent. People might feel good singing those songs for an hour in a gay-hating church, but isn't self-worth more important than that? Aren't human rights more important than that? It's easy to think, well, I'm only one person, or my church doesn't explicitly say they're anti-LGBTQ or they're anti-people of color, so it's probably fine, right? No, it's not fine. You need to do research and ask difficult questions. Silence on these issues is often a sure-tell sign of what's going on. Silence has long been used as a tool to oppress people because people can't be celebrated in silence. They can't be included with silence. Silence takes away visibility. It takes away existence. And silence is complicity to discrimination. 
And even if someone isn't supporting these types of camouflage hate groups financially, the act of giving time, as Oprah herself says, is the most valuable thing we have as humans. Our time our time has value. We have value. And I think it's important to ask, in a world with so many options, so many other fried chicken places, so many other churches, is turning a blind eye moral? And is it worth it? If you are someone privileged attending an organization that puts others down directly or indirectly, I hope you will reconsider and evaluate your surroundings. Even microaggressions are aggressions, and they fuck people up. And for those less privileged, if you find yourself asking a lot of questions like those in the forums, what are tips on how to be in a church that doesn't support me, or how can I be active in a church that doesn't accept me, the answer is, you don't. You find a community that will love and uplift you because you and your time are fucking worth it. How many times do I gotta say you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful before it registers? Because you are and deserve to be in a space that celebrates you with no qualifiers, no limitations, you as you are. Maybe you feel stuck in a place that isn't uplifting, and that can be really challenging. But if you can, seek spaces online. There are a ton of groups going online right now, so it is a perfect time to join organizations or groups outside of your area. And hey, listen, if you can't find any, reach out to me and I will personally help you. That is how much this means to me. Because you deserve better, okay? You deserve better. Which brings me to Kimberly Bryant, the author of the first piece for the B word, Reclaiming the Divine Feminine Voice. Kimberly is a native of the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. She married her Prince Charming and set about building a new family, raising three kids, building a successful award-winning theater teaching career, earning a Master of Arts degree from the University of Houston, then losing the physical ability to speak. Thanks to the universe, she was able to regain her speech through surgical intervention. She rediscovered her voice and power as she turned the dreaded age of 50. After 22 years of teaching grades 1 through 12, she left public school teaching to become an adjunct fine arts professor and a manager at the largest renaissance festival in the country. Kimberly knew she and her family deserved better. They were a part of a church that did not support and uplift them, specifically that did not support and uplift women. Her story speaks to the environment I grew up in. It is unsettlingly familiar to me. Her journey is powerful, emotional, and I cannot wait for you to read her piece on the website. But until you do... Here is just a short snippet of the article read by the wonderful Kimberly Bryant herself. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. 1 Corinthians 14.34 
scripture from 1 Corinthians, more than any other, has served to keep the women of Christianity silent. Now, I don't have any desire to get into a deep theological debate about the inerrancy of scripture because my own journey is probably not going to be enough to open the mind of a diehard believer who is sure that the Christian Bible is the holy, perfect, inspired Word of God, as though the writers were simply taking divine dictation while God spoke directly to them through an ancient version of the dictaphone. Arguments of first century cultural patriarchy and the historical passing around and editing of the gospel and apostolic writings before the scripture was codified in the third century CE may not matter to some people, but those things matter to me. Because for all intents and purposes, my church put a gag in my mouth. My mouth and the mouths of every wife, sister, mother, and daughter. And you know what? Most of us capitulated because we believed what we'd been taught by the men. The men in our churches, the men in the Bible. What does that do to a young girl who has deep thoughts and a gift for leadership rather than a passion for cooking potluck dinners, like me, like my daughters. I have to tell you about this one specific Bible contest, an event where thousands of Christian kids gather at a huge city convention center and try to win medals by showing each other up in events like memorization, preaching, and puppetry. I guess Jesus's admonition to the mother of James and John about competition and prestige didn't apply when gold Jesus medals were on the line. Well, actually, they weren't even, you know, real gold. They were plated with paint, but, you know, whatever. My daughter decided to enter the traditionally Mayo preaching competition. It threw the organizers for a loop, but there was not a rule specifically against it, and believe me, they checked. So they let her compete. I guess they figured she could grow up and lead a ladies Bible class. Now my daughter is a gifted writer, no lie, she's good. She's also a skilled performer. She grew up to earn a theater degree. Those kernels of talent were there in 1999 when she was 10 years old. She won a gold medal. At the following Sunday night worship service, All the students who had competed, not just those who won medals, but simply competed, were invited to read the sermons they had written and presented at the competition. Well, not all of them. Not my daughter. She was relegated to reading in the gym after service. She stood at a podium with about 10 listeners, and we strained to hear her over the several hundred people who were loading up their plates for the hot dog supper because she was a girl. When I look back on it now, I know that something in my faith, in my love for the church, was irrevocably broken that night. If our very livelihood had not depended on my compliance, I would have marched up to that podium after Hillary's speech, and I would have told that group of oblivious, hot dog-loving people to hush. I would have told them that they had in that moment the spirit of a young woman who was divinely created and loved by God in their hands, and they discarded it. I didn't say it then, but I am saying it now. I vividly remember the day that I read that the ancient Hebrews had a word for the feminine aspects of the divine creator. 
Shekhinah. I was sitting at my kitchen table, stunned, barely breathing for about five minutes. Even better, do you know how Shekhinah is made manifest? Joy. The religion which lay the foundation for the faith I would grow up in acknowledged that when it comes to gender, the Divine One is neither and both. A lifetime of prayers to the Father were incomplete. All the years of being told, God is like your daddy, had only been part of the story. All the questions about being lesser than were suddenly invalid. The Divine One's own chosen people understood that joy, sisterhood, Shekinah. We carry the wounds of our mothers and grandmothers. I carry my own wounds too, being allowed only to listen, never to speak. All those times when I was banished to the four-year-old classroom where my teaching voice was not a threat to the men of the congregation, repeatedly being shuffled to the back and praise team so that the worship leaders could sing or let their wives sing. And when I questioned it, being told by a man who barely knew me that I was ruining the group with my ego. And seven years of being expected to bake cookies when my real gifts of leadership and speaking were lying fallow and rusty. I also carry the wounds of my daughter who, on that bright spring day, was shown how little she mattered to her church and to the God they proclaimed. And on that day, I was quiet, so quiet. In so many key moments of my life in the organized church, I have locked my heart, soul, and voice up tightly, lips compressed, spirit screaming though, screaming, wailing, thrashing, and hurting. No more. No. No more. Sometimes silence equals survival, and we have to evaluate when it is an appropriate time to speak up. If you are in a dire situation and feel you must remain silent, of course, but if you can safely speak, take up for yourself or others, then do so, and participate in affirming groups. And hell, if you can't find a group, create one yourself. Thank you to Kimberly for sharing your beautiful emotional story. There is a lot more to the article, so please go to the website and read the full piece. Again, you can find it on the website at haveablessgay.com. You can also go straight to the B Words page, which is haveablessgay.com slash the B Word. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for that newsletter. And this week, begin to analyze your surroundings Look at the leadership of the groups, churches, or faiths that you're involved in. Are they all white? All male? All cis? All straight? If so, that's not a great sign. Now, if you are struggling to find a community, sincerely, please do reach out to me. And if you're struggling and need someone right this moment, I always post helplines in the show notes. So check them out if you need to. Just know that you are not alone and you deserve to be in an uplifting, accepting environment because you are special 
you are purposeful and you, yes, you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.